am buying the property with private money. So I borrow $50,000 from you and I buy the property and then I sell the house for 100,000 with 10% down or 10,000 down and I carry the 90,000 at 10%. I'm borrowing the 50,000 from you at 8% and I'm giving you a first lien on the property. I'm not ever letting you in over 65% of what I can sell it for. So you're very a pretty minimal risk, right? I'm borrowing 65,000 from you on a house that I'm going to sell for 100, let's say. That's the most I'll borrow. My goal is to own or finance my houses for 100% over what I have in it. So my goal is to buy it for 50, owner finance it for 100. But the most I'll pay is 65,000 and sell it for 100. The most I want to borrow is 65%. And the most I'll let you in is 65%. This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we have Mitch Stevens on the show. Mitch is a real estate investor based in San Antonio, Texas, and is a host of the 1000 Houses podcast. In this episode, Mitch will talk about how he purchased properties with private money and then sells those properties to end buyers through seller financing. It's essentially wholesaling to retail buyers, except he now gets recurring revenue from every deal. And by selling properties this way, instead of renting them out, he no longer has tenants, but full-fledged buyers who are consistently paying him a steady stream of income as mortgages every single month. So if you want to learn how to be the bank and how to get recurring cash flow without the headache of dealing with tenants, then you need to listen to this episode. And if you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it with a friend and leave a five-star review. It'll really help us a lot. And if you're looking for a hard money loan for your fix and flip projects, or if you're looking for a 30-year fixed loan to scale your rental portfolio, you can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. And now, on to the show. All right, Mitch, thank you so much for being on our show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and tell us what you do. All right, my name is Mitch Steven. I'm happy to be here. So I've bought a house about every four to five days in or about my hometown of San Antonio, Texas for over two decades. So about 100 houses a year, over 2,000 houses in my career in or about my hometown. And uh, I sell those houses on 30-year fixed 10% notes. And I collect 10% down and I finance my buyer. And so I'm the bank. I'm not, I'm not a landlord. I'm the bank. And I sell or finance about 70% of my transactions. And I retail about 27%. And I wholesale about 3%. So right now I collect on about 300 mortgages. That's amazing. And how did you get started with this business model? A complete accident. I kept getting things. I would go places and my strategy would screw up and then I'd have to morph and then I'd screw up again and then it'd have to morph. And I was buying houses, creating notes and selling the notes like all in one transaction. I would buy the house in one room of the title company. Then I'd walk into the other room and I'd sell the house on seller finance note. And then I'd walk into the other room and I had a note buyer lined up and I'd sell the note. And I was doing that for a long time. And then one day the the big corporation where all these notes ended up, the end of the train track, you know, Associates, which was a division of Ford Motor Company, closed and the note buying industry died for like five years. There was no selling notes. And I had 53 houses vacant and for sale in my inventory when that happened. And so I got in kind of a panic, but I knew the first thing I had to do is I had to get people in those houses and make them give me a down payment and make them payments. So 
this was 22, 23 years ago. All of them gave me about three or 4,000 down because the houses were like 35, 40,000. So they're giving me about 10% down. And so say they gave me 3,000 down on average. I had 150,000 in the bank and then I was clearing about 350 per house, you know? And so I was clearing 15, 16, 17, $18,000 a month from, you know, what they paid me, you know, minus what I had to pay out to my private lenders. And I was making about a 15, 16, $17,000 a month spread. And I thought, why the hell did I ever sell a note? And then I, I didn't ever sell a note after that. You know, all I had to do is fix my underlying acquisition money. I had to find a little longer, more favorable term, more favorable rate so that I could hold these deals instead of have to just, you know, cause I could pay really high interest rate when I was in and out in 30 days. It didn't matter what the interest rate was, but when you're going to hold these houses and collect payments for 30 years, I needed a more reasonable acquisition money, you know? And so I went out and found it and that was about 20 years ago. And I've been buying houses with other people's money and seller financing them to my buyers for over two decades. I, have about $26 million in private money out on the streets. So on the first of the month, which is shortly, I owe my payments to all these people on 26 million bucks. But these loans are non-recourse collateral only loans. That means I either pay as agreed or I need to walk over my position in the house to them. And I've never ever been foreclosed on. I've never given anyone a house back in my career. I've never filed bankruptcy or chapter seven or 13 or 11 or chapter anything. So, because it's a really good business and it's a very durable business and the seller finance strategy is real dependable, you know, because when the money comes in, there's very little reasons for it to go out. You know, if you're a tenant and you collect the rent, you don't even know if you can spend the money because if the air conditioner breaks tomorrow, then apparently the money belongs to the air conditioner man. But if you're a mortgage company or a bank or a note holder, and you're selling the house to these people. If the air conditioner breaks, it's not your house, but the payment is still your payment and you get to keep it and go spend it. So that's what I like about the seller finance strategy. And that's what I do. You know, all that and seven bucks will get a cup of coffee at an expensive uh, coffee house down the street on the corner. So very nice. Yeah. Sounds like you have a very interesting business model that not a lot of people do. First of all, are you still getting properties for around $30,000 in San Antonio now? No, you can find lots for that. You can find lots for 15 and 20 and 25 out in the outskirts of town, you know, out away from town, maybe some mobile homes, but houses now are around 100, 115, 120, 130, you know. So when I started, houses were so cheap. How I got into the business was I bought my first 100 houses on credit cards because I could buy rundown houses for 8,000, 12,000, 15,000, you know. I went and got 45 credit cards because back in the day, if you had good credit, and you applied for the credit card, they just checked your credit and they gave you the card with everything, you know, like, and you could do it as many cards as you could find. They would all just say yes and give you all the cash advance limits. And so I bought my first hundred houses on credit cards. That's amazing. I feel like it's harder for new investors to start that way, right? Because it does cost a lot more. Well, these were 0% introductory offers. I was buying these cards with 0% credit cards. You know, I had 0% for the first six months or 12 months or some of them 18 months. And I wasn't keeping these houses, but for 60 days. So I wasn't paying anything for my money. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Maybe some, you know, cash advance fees or something. But I learned very quickly, if you ordered the checks, then you, no matter what you wrote the check for, it's 50 bucks. If you went to the bank and tried to cash the money off the cash advance off the credit card, you'd pay like, one or two or 3%, which was a lot more money. But if you got the checks, it was just $50 for whatever you wrote the check for, whether you wrote it for a hundred bucks or you wrote it for 
you know, 18,000 bucks. It didn't matter. Wow. So now when you're doing this, you're buying the properties off a seller and then you are finding the buyers to put in the home and who give you the, I guess they're, they're seller financing, right? You're seller financing and they're getting a loan on the property. How are you finding these buyers? No, no. I am buying the property with private money. So I borrow $50,000 from you and I buy the property and then I sell the house for a hundred thousand with 10% down or 10,000 down. And I carry the 90,000 at 10%. I'm borrowing the 50,000 from you at 8% and I'm giving you a first lien on the property. I'm not ever letting you in over 65% of what I can sell it for. So you're very, a pretty minimal risk, right? Mm-hmm. I'm borrowing 65,000 from you on a house that I'm going to sell for a hundred. Let's say that's the most I'll borrow. My goal is to, to own or finance my houses for a hundred percent over what I have in it. So my goal is to buy it for 50 owner finance it for a hundred, but the most I'll pay is 65,000 and sell it for a hundred. The most I want to borrow is 65%. And the most I'll let you in is 65%. So I'm collecting, let's say if I'm collecting, I got 50,000 from you and I'm paying 8% to you annual interest divided by 12. And then I'm selling the house at 30 years. I'm carrying 90,000 at 30 years at 10%. So I'm making 2% off your money and I'm making 10% off the $40,000 spread. Mm, that's amazing. And I got paid $10,000 to make that happen. Right. That's the down payment. Cause I have no money in the house. You financed it all for me hundred percent. I even borrow an extra 2000 per transaction to replenish the marketing because it usually takes me about $2,000 to find this kind of deal, mm-hmm. you know? And so I don't just borrow the money I need for the house and the closing and the repairs. I also borrow back the advertising money it took to find this seller. Makes sense. And what kind of advertising are you doing? I'm using livecom.com, L-I-V-E-C-O-M-M.com. I use signs to get people to call for recorded messages like, you know, need to sell your house or whatever. And then I have all these cell phone numbers stacking up in text distribution lists. And then I'm just texting people or calling them, you know, in the sales, I can just text the link to the house and all the information. When you're buying, I usually want to call those people in person and get a hold of them and talk to them. Cause if they answer, that's my chance to talk to them and I'm going to talk to them. Mm-hmm. Are you doing all of your own like acquisitions or do you have a team to help you with that? Yeah, I say I do all this stuff. I don't do anything. I haven't seen the last 300 houses I bought. And I have not seen the last 300 people that bought my houses. I have no idea. But I mean, I have a spreadsheet somewhere that has them on there and I can go find them if I want, but I'd rather not. So ultimately, I guess your time is spent, I guess, enjoying life and then maybe raising funds. Raising private money is my job for that business. My partner, Mike Powell, who's, I'm the old man, the old seasoned guy. I'm going to be turned 60 here in a few days. Happy birthday. He's 34 years old and full of piss and vinegar like I used to be when I was 34. So my job is to socialize and take people out to dinner and get them comfortable with the idea of loaning us money. And Mike's part of the business is acquisition and sales. And and we have four acquisition people. That's all they do is acquire houses for us from sunup to sundown. And we have two salesmen. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to acquiring private capital, what is your strategy behind that? The strategy is you have to explain to as many people as you possibly can what you do and why it's a good idea to loan money to you. You know, you're talking to people saying, look, you can earn an above average rate of return, eight or nine or 10%, depending on a few things. And I'm going to give you a first lien on a real piece of properties, something you can go touch, something you can go see. 
and I'm never going to borrow over 65% of what I can own or finance that property for. So you have a big, big cushion, you know, in case you ever get this house back. And I look them straight in the eye and I tell them, I have two options every time you loan me money. And every deal stands on its own. If they have 500,000, here's one deal, I need 70. Here's another deal, I need 130. Here, you know, every deal stands on its own, completely separate. And you either get paid as agreed, or I will walk you my position in that. If I can't pay you or don't wanna pay you, I'll walk you my position in that property and hand you the deed or hand you the note, whatever my position is, I'll, you won't ever have to sue me or come looking for me. If I don't pay, I'll come. I hate to even talk about that because I've never not paid anyone in my life. I've never given a property to anybody. There's too much money in it. And I know what to do in two and a half decades. I've seen almost every scenario and I know how to handle everything. And worst case scenario, you know, I lost some money and I got to write a check. That's as bad as it gets. But my private lenders never know if I lose money. I don't lose money very often. Maybe I've lost money seven times in my career to a grand total of about 60,000 bucks. Nice. So in like, you know, major economic catastrophes like 2008, how did that affect you guys, if at all? I boomed. I do good in the good times and I boom like crazy in the bad time. To believe in the seller finance strategy and how durable it is and how dependable it is, you have to believe at least two things, maybe three things. Number one, can we agree that most people paying rent would rather pay to own if it was the same monthly cost? So the guy renting for a thousand would rather own for a thousand. Can we agree on that? Not all of them, not all of them, but damn near a lot of them, you know, I mean, almost all of them. And can we agree that when there's a recession or a pandemic or whatever, banks get nervous and they clam up and they quit loaning money? Can we agree on that? That's right. Okay. So given those two situations in 2010, when the market was bottoming out in San Antonio, let's ask some questions. What happens to the price of houses when banks stop loaning money? Yeah. What happens? The prices fall because there's not as many buyers. Most buyers need to borrow money from a bank to buy a house. Not very many buyers can write a check. So the prices fall in the recession. You know, my prices are based on the rents. What I charge is based on the rent. I'm trying to move a guy that's paying 1200 bucks a month rent into a PITI payment that's $1,200 a month, give or take a couple dollars. The separating factor being, does he have a down payment and do I like him? Okay, that's the only other two things that have to happen. They have to have at least 10% down and they have to have, I have to like them when I look at them on paper. I have to feel like I'm going to get paid. So, if houses prices fall in the recession because the banks quit lending, people that need a house, what kind of house do they move into? If they can't buy a house because the banks are closed, what kind of house are they moving into? They're moving into a rental house, right? Well, in the recession, when no one can buy a house because the banks aren't loaning money, they're all becoming renters. And when there's a lot of pressure on rents, what happens to rents? They go up. So in a recession, I'm buying houses at the low of the low and I'm selling those houses based on the rents for more than they've ever sold for before. Mm -hmm. It's a perfect storm. I was buying a house a day in 2010. I bought a house a day for almost two months before I scared myself and stopped. And the only way that happens is with private money. So look why this happens. Look why it's such a great business. If you have the private money, I didn't need a bank to buy the houses. Because when you need to buy the houses, it's during the crash. Well, if you need a bank during the crash, you're screwed. So that messes up the timing because 
housing prices collapse during the crash, but that's when the banks close. So you gotta have a different source of money than the bank if you're gonna capitalize on a crash. So I did, I had all these private lenders. And then, you know, if I had any other strategy, I wouldn't have been able to sell my house because my buyer would have needed a bank to come buy my house at market price. Well, I didn't need a bank because I was seller financing them. So I didn't need a bank on either end. I didn't need a bank to buy the house. And my buyer didn't need a bank to buy the house for me because I'm going to finance him. So I was booming like crazy in the recession. So if you do good in the good times and you boom in the bad times, when is it you fail? Hmm. When is it you fail? When do you fail? Good question. Well, a lot of people say you can't fail. I say, well, no, you can still fail. If you over leverage, just because you got private lenders and they trust you, doesn't mean you start buying $97,000 on a $100,000 house. You know what I mean? That ain't a good way to do business. Even if you can, it's not any good. You could fail if you don't have integrity because lawsuits will break you. You know, if, if, if everyone's suing you all the time, you ain't going to make any money. And number three, if you don't conform to some state and federal regulations, you could get put out of business or shut down. So if you can police yourself with those three things, then you should have a very long career. So another thing about seller financing is, you know, most people wouldn't take a 10% interest loan unless they had to, right? Like if they could qualify for a low 3% bank loan, they would. Have you had any risk in terms of like your borrowers not being able to pay you because they don't qualify for traditional financing? Okay, so don't get confused here. I've taken people with bad credit or that don't have credit good enough to get a loan, or there's a lot of other reasons why they can't get a loan. They might have perfect credit, but they don't have two years on the job. They might have their own lawn mowing business and they're not reporting all their cash. I mean, there's a lot of reasons, not just bad credit, why people don't get loans. You know what I mean? Maybe they don't have any bookkeeping. Maybe they don't believe in bank accounts. Maybe they got up, you know, $50,000 under their bed and they do fine, but they're from Mexico and they're, they're not giving the United States bank shit because they don't trust them, you know, but, I'm looking for good people that had something bad happen, but they've recovered, but the credit report's not showing the recovery. It, the credit report is still holding that event against them. I'm not a number. I'm not a computer. I'm not a box and a piece of paper that you got to check. I'm a real life thinking person. I can talk to someone and say, hey, you were doing great for all these years. And then, these, then two years, something happened. And then like the last year, you're fine. What happened? You know, and the lady says, I got three kids. I'm a stay-at-home mom, and I was married to a truck driver, and he got killed in a trucking accident. I said, okay, so what happened to clear it up? Because you went two years, and then something happened, and then everything turned around again, and you're good again. She says, well, I married the owner of the trucking company. I said, okay, problem solved. Uh, you know, give it loan approved. I'm not an algorithm. I'm a man who can think and rationalize, and if I see a good person that needs a house that has saved for a down payment, and they've recovered from whatever happened, then I go forward. I have a 0 0.01 foreclosure rate because these people are emotionally invested. They're financially invested and they've probably put some sweat equity in. So they've got sweat equity investment because renters move into houses, tear them down and leave. Buyers move into houses, fix them up and stay. And so a lot of times it's not just the 10 or 50, you know, I'm averaging 12% down now. I have a minimum of 10, but I average 12% down. It's not unusual to get 15 or 20 or 25% down now and then. But then beyond that, they'll go add porches, put in pools, you know, enclose the garage, 
pour the driveway in concrete if it's out in the country and it was a dirt road they might you know it was a dirt driveway they might have poured it in concrete they put on new roofs they put in landscaping they put in sprinkler systems they do sod you know they grass the yard they they build decks you know i never had a renter and i came over to collect the rent and they said hey look at the new roof i put on never did that ever happen to me yeah i mean this is their home so ultimately for 30 years you can buy also if they walk away, they're not only walking away from their money and their improvements, but they're walking away from the appreciation that that property's had over three or four or five years. So it's a big chunk of reason for them to fight like hell to do what they need to do to make their payments. Mm -hmm. Completely different mindset from a renter. Completely. And how are you finding these buyers in the first place? Again, I'm using livecom.com, L-I-V-E-C-O-M-M.com. I use smart numbers and I put 25 signs around every house around the neighborhood. And then I assign a phone number to every single house, a different phone number. That phone number goes to a recording that tells callers all about the house, but also captures their cell phone number and puts it in a text distribution list. So this person has effectively raised their hand and said, I'm interested in seller financed homes. By the way, here's my phone number. Text me anytime you want. I have 8,000 people that have called my signs that are still interested in a seller financed home next time I have a new home come into my inventory. And I can text those people in mass all at one time for two cents per person. So I have a highly targeted person who has told me they're interested in my product, given me their phone number, says, text me whenever you want. And when I have new inventory for two cents, I can hit them right between the eyes. And it has a 96% open rate. Right. So the last 300 houses, we just did this study at my office. We've averaged nine days on the market. Yeah. And today we would run them over to Facebook in the Facebook business page, say, you know, people raise their hand. We have an automatic message when they hang up. If the system, if Livecom recognize that they're a first time caller, it'll send them a text, an automatic text of whatever I want to say. It's called the hello button. If you turn the hello button on and the system recognizes them as a pristine caller, a first time caller, then it's going to send out this message. And the message I have going, it says, be sure to check out all my inventory at Facebook. And now I have 7,000 followers at Facebook. You know what I mean? Followers. We only really needed 3000 followers at Facebook to sell every one of our houses in nine days. We were selling houses at nine days with only 3000 followers. Now we got 8,000. So what we're doing is experimenting on pushing the down payments up a little bit, the upfront of commitment, just a little just to see with 8,000 people if I can get a little more down payment. And it's working, we're averaging 12 now. So, and today because of Facebook, because Facebook has 8,000 followers that are interested in what we sell, we don't even have to put a sign out anymore anywhere. We don't even put signs, in, not even one sign in, in the front yard of our house. We don't have to. And you don't put this on the MLS, right? It's kind of all off market all off market. I created my own market and I'm advertising a hundred percent in Spanish. All my websites are in Spanish. Everything's in Spanish, but my population of San Antonio, Texas is 65% Hispanic. Mm -hmm. So everything's in Spanish and everybody that works for me is bilingual. Mm -hmm. I'm the only gringo who doesn't speak Spanish. Very nice. Cool. So just to go through your entire process in the beginning, you have your live com and you have your bandit signs everywhere telling people to call you if they want to sell their home. Do you guys do direct mail at all? I don't remember if you said. Okay, so Livecom also has 
an instant call connect button that you can turn on and off. And what we're doing there is it says call for free recorded message. So they think they're going to call and not be confronted with a salesman because it says free recorded message. So they think it's going to be very passive. Well, if you turn on the instant call connect button in Livecom, I get notified when anyone starts listening to my recording. I get a text that says someone from this number right here is listening to and whatever I named that number is in that blank. And in this case, it would be cash buyer sign or cash buyers recording. You know, someone from this number right here is listening to your cash buyers recording right now. So I give them a few minutes to listen to the recording and then I call them, you know, and confront them right now while they're engaged. Mm -hmm. Very nice. And then from that method, you're able to buy a property every three or four days, every four to five days. Do you guys actually do any kind of rehab or do you just sell it as is? Well, that's a neat thing. When you do seller financing, you don't have to do rehab. You can buy a house for $45,000 that has a hole in the roof the size of a dining room table. And you can seller finance that house for 80,000 and the hole. You can seller finance the house and the hole for a price because I'm the underwriter. There is no inspection. Is the house good enough? If me and a buyer can agree on a price, then we're going to town. We're going to go sign papers. Yeah. And he can fix it. And a lot of times they do. But I've learned that you always have to have a crew. And the only way to keep a crew really to yourself is they got to be working every day, every day. So if I have 15 houses for sale, they're working on one or two right now. And I'm trying to sell the other 13 as is. When they get finished with those two, I'll just keep moving them down the list. But I'll sell half of those 13 before they ever get to them. I'll sell half of my inventory as is before the crew ever gets to them. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Now, I know this strategy works really well in like a market like San Antonio. How do you think this would play out in somewhere like the Bay Area where your fixers cost, you know, almost a million dollars? It doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. I mean, this strategy works in places where there are affordable houses, probably like the flyover states, Mississippi, Georgia, Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana, you know, Alabama. There's still places where there's 30 and 50 and 60 and $70,000 houses, believe me. Yeah. Nebraska. Are you saying it won't work because buying them is too expensive and you're not able to sell or finance for like double the price like you're able to in San Antonio? Right. It's a lot easier to double 30000 than it is to double 300000 Yeah, for sure. You know, it's a lot easier to find the money for a bunch of $30,000 houses than for a bunch of $300,000 houses. A $300,000 house, a $400,000 house, a $500,000 house, it cannot stand a 10% interest rate for 30 years. It's too much dollars racking up at too high a rate. You know, when I was owner financing mobile homes only on rented lots, I would buy the mobile homes, just the box. And I didn't even own the land. The home was in a park. Well, I was buying those houses for six or $7,000 and I was owner financing them for $23,000. Well, it didn't matter 10% or 14%. It was only $23,000. The payment didn't fluctuate that much, even though it looked like a huge jump in rate. There was so small a dollars that the payment barely even moved from 10% to 14.5%. It barely moved 25 bucks. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So seller financing works in affordable houses, lots and mobile homes and cheaper things. Cars are perfect. You know what I mean? But even cars now are getting pretty expensive. Yeah. So I guess if someone in the Bay Area is interested in this strategy, they either have to go out themselves or call someone like yourself where they can maybe be like the private money lender to help you on your deals. 
Oh, there's two choices. You can be a private money lender, and I'm happy to talk to anybody if, if you want to talk. You know, I have like 59 people that loaned me money, about $26 million worth. And most of them have been with me 10, 15, 20, 25, a couple of them almost 30 years now. They don't loan, they don't keep loaning me money because it's not working or, you know, for all those years because I was missing payments or anything. And, you know, if you're serious, I'll let you talk to those people in person or, or call them by yourself. But the other way to do it is to go pick a city. You know, it's a wonderful time we live in. You can gather a lot of information and data and stuff just from the Bay Area on Houston, Texas, or Dallas, Texas, or Ranger, Texas, or any Waco, Texas, any town you want, or Oklahoma, or Alabama, and you could do business from afar. You could set up shop in any little town flyover state, you know, you want, or big town, and it'll be a little more challenging, and I've coached people to do this, and I have several students that do this, because they can't leave California because of family reasons, or business reasons, or whatever, but they're not going to do business in California, because California sucks, quite frankly, so... As far as their laws for a businessman, they're too consumer oriented. But if you do go to another place and you actually make it work, you have a real business now because you can't go buy that house and mow the lawn or paint the outside or trim the tree or show it for sales. You have to sub out everything. And that isn't that really what owning a real business is all about is working on the business instead of in the business. So it'll, it'll force you to build a real business. It might take a little longer. It might be a little tougher, but if you make it through that process, you will have a real business. That's right. I think the biggest challenge is creating that team, right? Creating a team. and creating Yes. Systems. You know, get there. You got to learn. I'd say you'd have to go there once a quarter or something to meet new people, to check the lay of the land, or maybe just make sure people are saying what they say. But through video and having people check behind people, just, you know, hiring an extra, you know, a secret shopper or something, you can learn a lot about what's going on and you don't have to really be there. That's true. Yeah. And Mitch, I know you also host a podcast. I had the honor of coming on your show a couple of weeks ago. What would you say are some of the you know, key insights that you got from hosting the show for the past few years? Oh man, one time I learned that it wasn't that long ago, maybe four years ago, five years ago, I learned that I could collect principal interest taxes, insurance, and servicing fee from my buyer. And I thought to myself, holy crap, if I would have known that 15 years ago, and I would have collected the servicing fee that I had to pay from my buyer all this time, it would have been worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Wow. But you don't know what you don't know. Another time in my career, I learned about credit cards and cash advances and how you can use those cash advances to do all your rehabs and everything. You know, right now you can't buy houses with them because usually they're too expensive, but you can use 0% credit cards to do all your rehabs. Why pay interest on a $30,000 rehab if you don't have to? Mm -hmm. I learned about IRAs and 401ks and self-directed plans. You know, I was talking to some people and learned a few things that you can do in your IRAs and they made me worth a fortune. Just a couple of strategies. And so that's one of the reasons I still am in the educational game. I don't necessarily, I mean, I don't have to work anymore in my life if I don't want to. I have a self-storage business where I have 1,300 doors. 1,300 people owe me a hundred bucks every month. That's 130,000 a month. And then, you know, I'm collecting 300 notes and I average $500 profit per note with no repairs to do because they're not my houses. So that's $150,000 a month coming in. And that don't count the down payments. So, I mean, I don't have to work, but an idle man with a lot of money and as good looking as I am 
can find very aggressive demons. You know what I mean? So I choose to be engaged. And then the side effect of that being engaged is I stay smart. I get to talk to smart people every day. If I was to call them up and say, hey, can I talk to you for an hour? They'd say, you know, I ain't got time. Get out of here. But if I tell them I want to interview them, it's like, yeah, when do you want to do it? You know, and the questions are all the same. I get to ask the questions. So you're a very smart guy for having a podcast because you're getting a lot of free information from a lot of smart people. I know. Absolutely. Honestly, it's like free consulting for an hour and I get to meet great people like yourselves. It's, It's amazing. Right, right. Yeah. And I'm the best one, though, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You know, I like to tell everybody, I'm not the smartest guy in any room. And I never have been and I never will be. But I do learn from pain quite well. And when I get hurt, I'll learn how not to get hurt again because I don't like it. But sometimes I have to put my hand on the burner twice. You know, I'm not the guy that could do it once and go, wow, that burns. I think, does that really burn that bad again? I have to do it sometimes twice. But I finally get it, you know. Has there been any like pain stories or horror stories from what you've been doing in the past few years? Oh, yeah. I had some storages down at Corpus Christi when, what was that hurricane? Charlie, last big hurricane that smashed Texas. So anyways, our boat storages were right across the street from the beach. And FEMA was charging us 3000 a month of the 10000 that we were collecting for insurance. And they made us insure these little boat, this hundred boat stalls for like a million seven. I said, I can build this crap for $800,000 brand new. It was on a dirt floor. It had chicken wire dividers and it was corrugated aluminum with four by fours. You know what I mean? It was stupid, but there's no one to argue with at FEMA. And so I said, look, if we don't pay the 3000 insurance in four years, we'll have this whole place paid off. So we'll take a chance with no insurance for four years. We'll keep making our regular payment, but we'll add the 3000 for FEMA because we're not going to pay FEMA. We're not going to pay for insurance. And we'll take that 3000 that we were giving them and we'll put it towards the note and we'll be done in four years. I mean, there hasn't been a hurricane hit Rockport, Texas in 70 years. What's the chances it's going to hit in the next four years? Sounds like a good chance to us. We quit paying the insurance and we got hit 30 days later and it took every single one of those stalls and took them out to the ocean. Wow. So what is the lesson learned? Is the lesson learned to just pay the insurance? No, good question. The lesson learned is this. If you don't like where you're at, your insurance rate because of where you're at, you keep paying the insurance. You sell the facility and you move your money to some other storage place that doesn't have to have insurance like that. I would have been much better off, right? Yeah. Just keep paying the insurance, put it up for sale, sell it, and then move off the coast to some place that doesn't require FEMA-level insurance and go about your happy life. Yeah, that's solid. I appreciate that. And I'm pretty sure at the time it was pretty painful to see like all those things go with the storm. Well, we had collected a lot of money the two years that we had it. And then the land was cleared and... We were able to sell all the individual lots because we broke it up into bite-sized lots and we made about 275,000 when we sold. We bought it for 430. We made a lot of money. We sold all the lots for 270. So we about broke even, but it was just like, you know, six years of wasted time. We didn't lose any money, but we didn't make any money. And that's another thing. My private lender, one of my private lenders financed that storage. And when it was destroyed, We just kept making the payment. To this day, my private lender never has thought to ask me, how is the storage I financed at the coast doing? You know, because if he ever does, I say, oh, they got blown away with Hurricane Charlie or whatever the hell it was. But 
That's why I have $26 million worth of private lenders is I don't let my problems become my private lenders problems. I don't even tell them about it because it would just give them anxiety. Even though I was making the payment, even though I paid them off eventually, even though whatever, I don't even mention my problems to them. I, they just need to get their check and feel happy. That's true. And not, not be worried. And that's why I have $26 million because I never miss my payments, no matter if it's coming out of my pocket or if it's, you know, going like it's supposed to go. And if I have problems, it's not their business. It's none of their business. Their business is to receive payment as I told them they were. I had a doctor one time said, you know, I went to lunch with an attorney and he wanted to know if I was insured when I loaned you this money. Of these, I said, no. He says, I'm not insured. I said, no, doc. You know, I averaged nine days of owning these properties. I'm not going to buy insurance for a year, like 1200 bucks for nine days, and then have to go back and try to get a rebate from the insurance company on a hundred properties a year. It's not worth it. I'll just self-insure. He goes, well, what if one of my houses burned down? I said, one of your houses already did burn down. And he's like, oh my God, which one is it? And I said, I don't know. It was like 13 years ago. I do remember you had loaned 38,000. And he said, so you lost 38,000? I said, no, I sold the lot for 25,000. I owner financed the lot for 25. So I was out like 13,000. He goes, why didn't you tell me? I said, because it's none of your business. It was absolutely none of your business. That's not what you got in a relationship with me to hear about crap that's happening that's not good. That's not why you got in business with me. You got into business to say, I'm going to loan it to you. Make sure that payment's in my mailbox. End of story. You know? Right. Yeah. So that's some of the bad things I had. The reason that house burned down was it was at a foreclosure sale. And the people that were in it moved in next door with their adult children. And they were so pissed that they lost the house, they sat on the front porch and burned down their old house that they got foreclosed on. Wow. But I've had three problems like that in 2,000 houses. Now, if you take 2,000 houses and you pay $1,200 for every house for insurance, that's like, what is that, $2.2 million? Mm-hmm. $2.4 million. Or I could have three houses burned down and be out 200 grand. Which one do you want to do? Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They ain't all going to burn down. You know what I mean? Right. And then as soon as I sell them with owner financing, my buyer has to have insurance. I got to collect principal interest taxes and insurance by law. So I'm only running exposed for the time that I have it until I close with my buyer, which is minuscule amount of time. Yep. A vacant house policies are very expensive. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure if you ever even claimed on one, they'll try to find some reason why they don't have to pay because that's what freaking insurance companies do is try to figure out how to not pay you. Or they take a long time to pay you. So that's you. Yeah, I know. It's like this next house. The good news is, you know, I mean, the month that that house burned down and I lost $13,000 that the doctor loaned me the money, you know, instead of making $100,000 that, that month, I made $87,000. I mean, it was still... A, it didn't change what I ate. didn't change what I drove. It didn't change where I lived. It didn't change anything. Mm-hmm. So it gets a little easier to write. Now, When let me say this to you listeners, the young investors. If I was a younger man with not so many assets and not, you know, not such net worth, I would be paying for the insurance on those houses every time because I couldn't afford to take a $30,000 hit or a 50000 I didn't have the money in the bank. You know, so when I was young and didn't have the capability I have now, I did insure those. Instead of making 20000 a house, I made $1,200 less because I was not about to have a fluke happen to me and have to be out 40000 because I, I didn't have that kind of money. 
laying around when I was young in my career. Yes. So I guess when you're first getting started out, be more precautious, but then once you have that network, you have multiple deals going on, then, you know, some things you can kind of slide, especially if it's like a property. Yeah. When you have 250,000 a month cash flow, you probably don't have to insure a $50,000 house for, for nine days or 30 days. You know what I mean? Exactly. Awesome. Well, Mitch, this has been an amazing conversation. Thanks so much again for coming on the show. Do you have any last tips for our listeners before we finish up today? Yeah. Get out there and buy something. Quit thinking about it. Quit talking about it. Quit studying about it. Let's get out there and buy something. Awesome. I love it. And Mitch, how can people find you? You can go to 1000houses.com, 1000houses.com. And if you do me a favor, all you listeners, I just started a YouTube channel where I am posting a six to 10 minute segment every working day for the next year. And I'm about a month and a half into it or a month and a week into it. It would sure help me if you went over there to 1000houses.com forward slash YouTube and subscribed, liked, and shared for me because it'll help me hit some algorithms. And the sooner I do that, the more prolific and deeper I'm going to go. So, But you can find all this stuff at my website, 1000houses.com, my podcast, my blog, my YouTube channel. I got a ton of free stuff over there, a webinar on exactly how I own or finance houses. There's so much free stuff there that some of the gurus over there chastised me to say I'm giving away everything. And I said, you know, you need to do it your way. I'll do it my way. Awesome. Well, Mitch, thank you again so much for being on the show today and looking forward to speaking again. All right, man. I appreciate being here. Thank you so much. All right. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, join our meetup group where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.